We want to welcome you to Brown Corners Church today, and we're glad you're here with us. If this happens to be your first Sunday or your first Sunday in a long time, we invite you to fill out what we have uh, in front of you. We call a connection card and turn it in in the offering box on the back wall. That just lets us be able to stay in touch with you. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here. There's one or two other things I want to add that uh, came, up, came about after we, we filmed those announcements. Um, if you uh, are going to be here on Thanksgiving, if you signed up to come or if you'd like to come, um, we have a sign-up sheet on the, um, at the Welcome Center just right outside these doors. If you are willing to stay after a little bit and just help with cleanup, um, that would be a huge blessing to us. And if you would just jot your name down so we can have a, a few extra folks to help uh, you know, get the dishes done and put the tables back and that sort of thing. Um, I also want to remind you, or I also want to add, uh, we could also use a little bit of help the day before. So if you already have your Thanksgiving planned uh, and you're already going to be uh, with family or traveling, but you have a little time to give on Wednesday, uh, from 11 to 2, we'll be setting those tables up and getting everything out. And uh, if you would sign up, there's a little uh, slot on the bottom of that sheet that would help us out if uh, uh, you could join us to help with the setup for this Thanksgiving meal. I also just want to encourage you, if you are coming and you're from our church, we're going to have a lot of folks there who are um, from, the, from the community who don't have a church background. And so just by, uh, by way of encouragement and exhortation to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and sit with folks that you don't know, our whole goal is to use this event on Thursday as a way to reach our community for Christ. And so we hope that if uh, you're going to be there, uh, you'll be a blessing by just connecting with people that don't look familiar to you and, uh, and having the opportunity to just learn a little bit more about who they are. And, uh, and then finally, uh, we didn't get it into the bulletin this week. It'll be in next week's bulletin, but we want to remind you that uh, in December is when we uh, vote for um, our 2019 elder and trustees. And so if you have a nomination, someone you would like to put forward uh, for uh, an elder in our church or for a trustee, uh, to make sure that you contact myself or one of our current elders, and those name, the names of our elders will be in next week's bulletin or you can find them on our website so you can know who to get in, in touch with. Just be thinking and praying about that as we get ready to come into the end of the year. Before we open up the scriptures together in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'd like us to just pray together one more time. Our Heavenly Father, it is our privilege to be here this morning. It is our privilege to fellowship and to sing your praises. God, you are worthy of all glory and praise. And as we come into Thanksgiving week here in a few days, we're reminded we have so much to be grateful for. Your blessings, your mercies, your grace that flows to us from a thousand different channels. Lord, you are so good to us. As we study the scriptures this morning and we think about the character of an elder, would you, would you teach us, would you remind us that this topic is pertinent to each and every one of us as we think about what the leadership of the church should look like and how church members should, should uh, honor and respect and pray for and come alongside those who are leading the church. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask that he would teach us You'd minister to our hearts today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I, uh, I came across this week a want ad for a pastor, for a minister in a church, and uh, this is what it said, wanted, minister for a growing church, a real challenge for the right man, 
Applicant must offer experience as a shop worker, office worker, educator at all levels, including college, artist, salesman, diplomat, writer, theologian, politician, Boy Scout leader, children's worker, minor league athlete, psychologist, vocational counselor, psychiatrist, funeral director, wedding consultant, master of ceremonies, circus clown, missionary, social worker. Helpful, but not essential, experience as a butcher, baker, cowboy, Western Union messenger, must be able to golf, but not too well. Must know about all problems of birth, marriage, and death. Also conversant with the latest theories and practices in areas like pediatrics, economics, political theory, and nuclear science. The right man will hold firm views on every topic, topic, but is careful not to upset people who disagree. Must be forthright, but flexible. Returns criticism and backbiting with Christian love and forgiveness. Should have an outgoing, friendly disposition at all times. Should be captivating speaker and an intent listener. Education must be beyond PhD requirements, but always concealed in homespun modesty and folksy talk. Able to sound learned at all times. Able to sound, or, uh, uh, but, but uh, talk and act like a good old Joe. Familiar with literature read by average, the average congregation member. Must be willing to work long hours, subject to call anytime, day or night. Adaptable to sudden interruption. Will spend at least 25 hours preparing sermons, additional 10 hours reading books and magazines. The applicant's wife must be stunning and plain. Well-dressed, but conservative in appearance, gracious, and able to get along with everyone. Must be willing to work in the church kitchen, play piano, teach Sunday school, babysit, run and repair the copy machine, wait tables, never to listen to gossip, and never become discouraged. The applicant's children must be exemplary in conduct and character, well-behaved, well-dressed, Never run in church, yet basically no different from other children. Opportunity for applicant to live close to work. Furnished home is provided. Open door hospitality is enforced. Must be ever mindful the house does not belong to him. Directly responsible for views and conduct of all church members and visitors. Not confined to direction or support from any one person. Salary not commensurate with experience or need. No overtime pay. All replies kept confidential Anyone applying will undergo full investigation to determine sanity. You know, our church culture has a lot of different views of what a pastor or an elder, a church leader should look like, the roles and responsibilities that are involved in that task. But the important thing is to come to God's Word and see what God is looking for in the people who lead His church. The discussion of church leadership should be important to each and every person in the church. Some believers have been encouraged greatly by their church leaders. Others have been hurt immensely in their spiritual walk by poor leaders. David Platt underscores the importance of godly leadership by saying, If church leaders are casual about God and holiness and mission, then the church will fall short in these areas. In countless numbers of people, who've never heard the name of Jesus, will continue to be unreached with the gospel. On the other hand, if church leaders are passionate about these biblical truths, then the church will be strengthened and, we pray, souls around the world will be transformed by the gospel 
through the church's witness. There are wrong methods for selecting church leadership based on popularity, uh, the past, traditions that a, that a church has held, uh, political maneuvering, the wealth or the, the business um, skills that a, that a potential elder has. But it's important to come to Scripture and ask what God is looking for when it comes to the character of an elder. Last week, we looked at some of the, the qualities, the qualifications, the, the job description, as it were. But this week, we want to look more at the man. What is God looking for in those that He calls to lead His church? As we look at these verses in 1 Timothy 3, we're going to begin in verse 2 and read through verse 7. And this is what the Apostle Paul says to us through the divine guidance of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So we think about these qualities, the first one you can jot down in your notes, is a summary quality. The first one listed is that the pastor needs to be above reproach. He needs to be above reproach. I neglected to put that in the slides, but the, the, the wording is clear. He says the pastor must be above reproach. It's not optional. It's, it's not something that, any of these qualities are not something that we can pick and choose. Well, I know he doesn't really measure up here and here and here, but uh, he's a friendly chap or, or he's an outgoing speaker, so we'll take him anyways. These are qualifications that are required. The overseer, the elder, the pastor must be above reproach. This term does not mean that an overseer, that this church leader must be free from all sin, that he's a perfect person. That's not... It's not biblical. The Word of God teaches that that we're sinful. But that is that his life would be above board. His spiritual reputation is free from accusation. His life, as one writer says, is free from any offensive or disgraceful blight of character or conduct. You see, if Satan wants to come after a church, one of the greatest ways for him to do so is to come after the leaders of the church. That's why it is so important that Paul lays out these qualities so clearly. You can find them also in Titus chapter 1, very similar list, almost an exact replica of the qualifications to be a pastor. God is not looking for perfection, but He's looking for men of God, for hearts devoted to Him, hearts that are sold out to Him, those who are pursuing Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. An elder must be above reproach. The next thing we see is 
as we divide up these qualities, I kind of divide them into three areas. And, and the first area is the elder's personal life. These qualities talk about the elder's personal life. And we'll just walk through these, these words that are mentioned here. The first one is sober-minded. Some of your translations may have it worded a little bit different, differently. Um, it literally can mean sober in regard to alcohol uh, consumption, not, not a drunkard. But since that's mentioned a little lower in the list, probably the, the other meaning of the word is in view here. That is the idea of being alert, watchful, uh, vigilant, someone who's clear-headed. This is a leader who thinks ahead, who, who uh, is able to think clearly, possess the inner strength to uh, refrain from things that would take his, his eye off the ball, so to speak. This will mean making balanced assessments in situations that call for discernment. When someone comes with a conflict or a problem, not just rushing to quick judgment without hearing the other side of the story and those sorts of things. This is someone who takes his calling as an elder seriously, is not frivolous about spiritual things. He is sober-minded, serious-minded about the things of God. The next one listed is self-controlled, self-controlled. Being in control of oneself is, is a discipline. And elders who are haphazard about the way that they um, just jump into things or make decisions or their behavior, excesses, impulses, and the emotions that go along with those things need to be kept in check for those who are to lead God's church. The next one mentioned is respectable. This refers more to the way that they carry themselves, their outward appearance. It balances this inward quality of self-control, and it's the outward manifestation of someone who is a mature believer. It doesn't mean there's, there's not times to be silly and to have fun. As we read these characteristics, I don't believe Paul is communicating that. But the elder is to have a, a, a serious-minded understanding about the spiritual realities that are at work in this world. We're not going to be flipping about life in general. We're not going to, to be rolling Mary along like there's no problems or no spiritual struggles. We're not, we're not uh, ignorant of the fact that we have an enemy who is after the souls of the sheep that are entrusted to the elders. And not just after the sheep, but of course the leaders themselves. We realize that we're dealing with matters of eternity here. The church is not a club. It's not just another organization it's, it's God's people gathered together in pursuit of the kingdom and a longing to fulfill the great commission. And those who lead God's church need to have this always in mind. The next term that's mentioned is hospitable. Hospital, the Greek word means literally to love strangers. It's the combination of two words. And is a telltale virtue of the people of God. We're all supposed to be people who are hospitable. Romans 12, 13 says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. As Christians, we should long to pursue a spirit of hospitality. We should be welcoming to strangers, to those who, who need uh, our, our company, 
maybe uh, even our, our, uh, uh, to share a meal with us. And one of the qualifications is that elders take the leadership in that role. 1 Peter 4.9 says the elders are to do it without grumbling. What this looks like will vary from culture to culture. In Paul's day, travel was very, very difficult. And the quote-unquote hotels that did exist, the, uh, the boarding houses, uh, were not often safe places to be. They were dirty. They were often expensive and a gathering ground for unsavory and immoral activity. And so as, as Christian ministers traveled around, they would need places to stay. And Paul told the leaders of the churches to be the leaders in this area, to, to be the ones who are at the forefront of practicing hospitality, of welcoming others into their home. This was also important because of the persecution in the early church. Christians were scattered abroad and, and often didn't have a, a place to lay their heads and would rely on the generosity and the, the care of other believers. As elders of the church, we need to be people who are welcoming to strangers, not those who turn others away, and thereby be an example to the flock. The next qualification is able to teach. This is one of the more significant qualities of an overseer. This has not, even though we're putting it under the, the personal life, it doesn't have so much to do with his character, but with his abilities. And this sets an elder apart from next week, we'll look at the deacons. It's, it's this ability to teach. As we said a couple weeks ago, the elders are the ones charged with the task of the primary teaching responsibility in a church. This is especially important given the false teachers that had, had crept in in Paul's day. An elder must be able to communicate the Word of God. This does not mean that he will be Billy Graham. This does not mean that he will, he will sell books and, and record podcasts and accumulate amass followings, but he has to be able to share the Word of God. We said last week that, that different elders are going to be able to do this at different levels. There'll be different levels of gifting. Some will be great at being able to preach and to communicate the Scriptures. But all of them need to be able to share the Word of God to someone who asks for instruction, or sometimes doesn't ask for instruction, but needs it anyways. An elder must be able to teach. The next one is not a drunkard. Not a drunkard. The elder, as we already mentioned, needs to be one who exhibits self-control. This verse here does not specifically prohibit the use of alcohol, but rather the overuse of alcohol. He says the elder must not be a drunk. I read this week uh, that you know you're in trouble as a pastor when your accountability group is Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, and Jose Cuervo. <laughs> you know, so often we, we, we deal with stress in different ways, right? Uh, we should, when we're having a difficult time, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we should turn to Jesus in those moments. But sometimes we turn to other things. Sometimes it's technology and we veg out or flip on the TV and zone out. But maybe it's other substances, a, a real spiritual uh, uh, way to go for Christians is to eat, right? To, to just um, emotionally eat. And we can joke about it, but it can become a, a spiritually devastating thing in our lives if it grabs a hold of our hearts and lives. And, and what Paul mentions here is that a pastor should not be seeking his outlet 
and alcohol. When a pastor is stressed and overwhelmed, he needs to turn to Jesus, just like each and every one of us do. It's just a good, good place to stop and ask yourself, what, what do I do when I'm overwhelmed and stressed out? We've got a lot of burdens. Do I go to the cross or to the refrigerator? Do, do I go before the throne of God or do I go to the liquor cabinet? God calls us to be people who exercise self-control. The next qualification is actually two rolled into one. He says, not violent, but gentle. Not violent, but gentle. This word literally means, this word violent literally means a giver of blows. Some of your older translations will say, not pugnacious. I like that word. I, I had to look up what it meant, but uh, I like it because it just sounds, it sounds like what it means. Not someone who's, well, a, a bully. Not someone who's looking to pick fights, who's, who's uh, uh, verbally or physically abusive. That man should not be entrusted with the care of God's people. Rather, we need to seek to model the heart and life of our Savior. He says, not violent, but gentle. Jesus, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, we're told he was gentle and humble in heart. That's the heart of our Savior. And that should be the longing of every leader to model that trait. This word gentle means gracious, kindly, considerate. One definition I ran across uh, for this word suggested it means a sweet reasonableness. Not someone who's a pushover, but someone who understands what it means to be kind, understanding, compassionate. Next is not quarrelsome. Paul likely had in mind the false teachers here who were people who were picking fights who were stirring up strife, and he said the elders should not be that. Should not be a lover of money. There are those who are in high-profile ministry today whose first ambition is to get rich, plain and simple. They are fleecing their flocks, and God will judge them for that. What's heartbreaking is that American Christian culture is so accepting of this. Os Guinness was more to the point when he said, if a man is drunk on wine, you'll throw him out. But if he's drunk on money, you'll put him in leadership. This is so often how churches operate, isn't it? If a man has lots of money, that means certainly that God has blessed him. He was a, a, a successful businessman, so certainly he'll be a successful spiritual leader. That's not always the case. Paul is going to tell us in just a few pages when we get to chapter 6 that people who want to get rich, who long to get rich, fall in tempta into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you get into ministry, if you become an elder, a pastor, for the money, personally, I think you're a bit off your rocker, but the bottom line is that you're not qualified for the ministry. Our pursuit of leadership should not be for financial gain. The longing to accumulate wealth is a dangerous thing, whether you're a leader or not. You know that Jesus said it's difficult for the rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. That should be sobering for us as Americans 
because we're some of the, the richest people who have ever walked the face of this earth. We need to take a constant internal um, uh, census of where our heart is with regards to money and stuff. Because God says if we long to get rich, we're in trouble. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And elders need to be at the forefront in leading the charge to pursue Jesus above wealth. And then the last one in this category, he mentions not a new believer. Verse 6 says, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Humility is a trait gained by experience. He says, give a new believer time. Let them grow in their faith. Let them get rooted. Let them get built up by other mature believers. Don't just throw a new Christian into church leadership or you're going you're to have trouble. The temptation is easy for him to become conceited. He doesn't put a specific a parameter here. He doesn't, doesn't say they have to be saved in X amount of time. It's a case-by-case basis. We all grow at different speeds. So make sure that you don't just throw them into the mix. What does this mean for us with, with regards to the, the, the elder's personal life? A leader is qualified to lead insofar as God is at work in his heart and life. Church leaders are to be models in the church. Hebrews 13.7, we mentioned last week, says for, says for God's people to model your leader's faith. And that truth ought to weigh on anyone who aspires to lead Christ's lead Christ church. We're going to look at these next two briefly. The second one is an elder's family life. An elder's family life. It says he must manage his own household well. In verse 4, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? It's important that an elder have control in his own home. The Puritans used to refer to the household as little church. That's where it starts. That's where, men, God calls us to begin our spiritual leadership, right under our own roof. If we're not doing it there, we're not going to do it under the roof of this building. We must begin as leaders at home, by teaching our family the Word of God, loving them well. It doesn't mean that your kids are going to be perfect. They're sinners just like you are. And it also doesn't mean that um, uh, when, a, when a, uh, an elder's adult child grows up, if he were to walk away from the faith, I don't believe that means he's disqualified from the ministry. But for those who are under his own roof, he needs to manage that well. There's another aspect of the elder's um, family life that I, I skipped over in verse 2 when it says the husband of one wife. There's a lot of debate on this phrase as to exactly what it means. The term literal, the Greek phrase literally means a one-woman man. The elder needs to be a one-woman man. The interpretations of this have varied throughout history. Some have suggested that it is a, uh, a prohibition against polygamy, that uh, if you're going to be an elder, you can only have one wife. Um, that's a possibility. However, all the scholars that have studied the, the culture and the history of Ephesus at that time 
have, have yet to really turn up any evidence of polygamy being practiced in that culture at that, in that time frame. In the Greco-Roman world, during the New Testament times, polygamy just simply was not being practiced. So Paul is probably not speaking to that. Um, others think that this verse prohibits divorced individuals from serving as elders, that you can only have had one wife in your life, and that's it. Well, if we take that literally, we run into some problems with those who have been widowed and remarried. Does that disqualify them? Uh, scripture doesn't, doesn't uh, downplay marriage and remarriage uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. Probably the verse is uh, a, a figure of speech, a one-woman man, to refer to the elder being faithful to his wife. An elder must be devoted to the wife that God has given him. He must be a one-woman man, not with wandering eyes, but a heart and affections only for her. The NIV translates it based on this interpretation and says, is faithful to his wife. An elder is mandated to love and care for his wife. You know, it's, it's commanded for every Christian. Every Christian man needs to love his wife well. There is no excuse for wandering eyes, for addictions to pornography. Those things must be confronted in a Christian's life. But for an elder, they're absolutely required if he is to fill that role. The elder must manage his household well, must be a one-woman man. And then finally, we see an elder's public life, an elder's public life. Verse 7 says, he must be thought well of outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. What's your reputation like out in the community, out beyond the church walls? What, what, what do people say about your life and your character? This does not mean that we will never be criticized or falsely maligned, but that, that none of those accusations should be able to gain traction, should be able to take hold, should have any weight or merit. An elder's public life must be exemplary. As we close, and I think about how we can apply this, I wrote down three things here. Um, the, the first one is that we need to select elders wisely. So church, you know, the verse one that we looked at last week says that it is a noble thing if you aspire to the office of an overseer. If you feel God prompting you to lead, it is a, it is a noble thing, but it is a serious thing. It's not something that should be approached willy-nilly or half-heartedly. And as a church, we need to be careful about selecting leaders. We need to go beyond the superficial and get to know their character. We also need to be realistic. We've said some pretty serious things, but if, if I've communicated, or if we think that this passage is communicating that God only accepts perfect people for biblical eldership, either I've miscommunicated or we've misunderstood the text. Because there's no one who will attain to this office who has attained to perfection. 
We're all sinners. But the heart of an elder is that as, as sin is pointed out in his heart, it should be a, a, a humble, teachable heart, quick to repent, quick to confess those sins, and a longing to continue to pursue Jesus. We need to select leaders wisely. Second thing I want to say to you, uh, this is a little bit self-serving, but so be it. Uh, please pray for the pastors and the elders of your church. If you don't, please start. And if you already do, please pray more. These, this is a high and noble calling, but God's standards mean that, that pastors and elders can lose their jobs if they don't line up here. And, and we know that the enemy is after, after leaders, longing to, to see them tumble. Please pray that God would help each of our elders and the future elders of this church to pursue these character traits with all their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, I hope that this passage has reminded each and every one of us, whether you're in leadership or aspiring to leadership or not, that character matters. Like God is deeply concerned with our heart. You know, we come here this morning, and we've said, we've said this before, it, it's easy to put on a happy face. You could have just about murdered your children in the car, and none of us would know. None of us. You could be dying inside. You could be given over to some sin that has gripped a hold of your life, and none of us would know. It is easy to put on a happy face in church. It is easy to put up a false front. But this passage reminds us that God wants to get at our hearts, that God longs for each of us to come to Him as, as our Abba, as our Daddy, as our Father, and confess sin, confess where we have failed in these areas, and then by His grace begin to pursue Him with a full-hearted devotion. And I believe as we do that, these character traits will become more and more real in the Christian's life. As we think about the character of an elder, the kinds of leaders that God wants to, to stand in front of His church, to lead His church, to teach His church, to be the spiritual authority in His church, may we be people who come alongside those elders and pray for them. But at the same time, seek to pursue these traits for our own lives and our own families as well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Your Word reminds us that it is a noble calling to lead the church. You've laid out the blueprint for what You expect of leaders. Lord, would, would those who are those of us who are currently pastoring and elders of this church pursue these traits with all of our hearts. We seek to be men of character. But may, may each of us in here be in prayer for them. And then may each of us seek to pursue these traits ourselves. 
You long to see your children bearing the image of the Father in our daily lives. Lord, may that be true of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.